1: out there listening, I want to explain what you've just seen. Arsenal have beaten Manchester City in the Premier League. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Eli Smith, the Blackman Twitter Inc. And that's right. If you are one of our dear 8-year-old listeners and if you are, uh, your parents need to rethink some of their parenting strategies. Um, that was us beating Manchester City in the Premier League. I know you are not aware that it can happen and in fact uh, the 12 men of City attempted to make it not happen, but it happened nonetheless. It happened without Bukayo Saka, who was wrapped in cotton wool for the friendly against Australia coming this week, which, um, you know, I I think Gareth Southgate owes Mikel Arteta a nice bottle of wine or something for that one. And it happened to send us to the top of the table. I want to tell you, if you want to hear just the most over-the-top ebullient celebration of this occasion, we got that over for you with the instant reaction on Patreon. Of course, today we will try to engage with the emotion. We'll also dive into the analysis for a very tactical battle that was going on out there. And there's so many talking points. It's weird. For a game that may feel like it had relatively little incident, it's got a lot of talking points. And we're going to dive into every nook and cranny of it in all week. Let me tell you, we're going to do a rewatch. We've got a scouting video for Pedro Neto and uh, Ivan Tony planned, by the way, for this international break, along with a bunch of other things over on the Patreon side. We'd love you ha- uh, to have you over there. Um, but if you are not over there and you are just over here, we're just thrilled that you're here. We're thrilled that we can come together this season felt like it's been on sort of the, the taxiway. Not quite on the runway. Not quite off the air yet. You know, we... Uh, off the air? In the air. You don't want to be off the air. We're on the air right now. In the air. Um, second cup of coffee will kick in here any minute. But, but what it felt like is it was waiting for liftoff. And this is liftoff. And the sound that the Emirates made when the winner hit the back of the net. And the sound, the, the, the sound of... Um, the Angel being sung at full time. I mean, that that was special. And, you know, as someone who made the decision not to go over for that game, uh, thinking I should pick one that's probably a more comfortable three points. Uh, yeah, I'm the big loser. I'm the big loser. If you've thought that, Elliot, he's a loser. You were right, dear listener. Uh, but you know what? I'm, I'm happy that we are all winners and we all get to celebrate this. So we're going to dig into all of it. Um, so many little bits and pieces to pull apart. And I am so thrilled to have Clive here to discuss it with me. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I will say the one benefit of not having gone is that I don't feel like you feel today. I I wish I could have felt like you felt last night, but I'm <laughs> glad that I don't feel like you feel this morning.
2: I'm so not my that. best, that's what I'm going to say. I'm hoping that you start with Tim so I can finally wake up and get going.
1: <laughs> you, know what? you may not be as good as you once were, but you're as good once as you ever were. And here with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Tim, are you... Uh, in the same in the same general physical state as, as Clive,
3: yes, yes, I believe so. I'm um I'm I'm still feeling a bit delicate and a bit slow um this morning. Um, so yeah, a, a good time was had last
1: night. Put it that way. I always feel a bit delicate, but it has nothing to do with anything I consume. I'm just a delicate individual in general. Um, Okay, I want to do this because this is going to be very analytical in some ways. There's a a tactical battle to unpack. There were mistakes, Arsenal mistakes, and concerning performances that we will dive into. There were heroic moments that we're going to break into as well. But I I want to get the joy up front because the joy is the feeling. And, you know, Tim, I'll start with you on this one just... You've been to probably every game we played against Manchester City since 2015 when we last did this. You've seen us be a bad team, a team that didn't look like it should be on the pitch with them at times. Mm. And you've seen us grow into the team that to January, or not last January, but the January before, looked like potentially the better team and felt we had it kind of taken away. And then you you saw, obviously, last season, a game we gave away at home, a game where we didn't have our players, we couldn't compete, and then this, this This moment where they come in a bit vulnerable, we're maybe not at full strength, and you you just need that proof of concept that Arsenal Football Club can beat this Manchester City team and belongs, you know, on the stage with them for the big prizes. How did it feel to see the sort of culmination of a journey where now I think there will be a lot of belief about what this team can go on and do?
3: Yeah, definitely. It felt like, um, you know, we used to watch those Man City Liverpool games a couple of seasons ago and you'd look at it and go, we're wow. miles off this, like we're miles off this, we're not anymore, we're there. And, you know, the fact that we can have like a bit of a tactical chess battle with Manchester City as well, this wasn't a kind of, you know, a plucky up and atom them, threw everything at them and, you know, kind of, I mean, we did get a fairly fortunate deflection in the end, but do you know what I mean? Like, this was a measured display. We really limited them. I think we took a lot of the margins out of the game and I think it was almost deliberate that, do do you know what it felt like? It felt a bit like the FA Cup game in January, but that time City got the goal there was basically one chance they took it one nil that that's what happened here I think but Mm. I think the noise when Martinelli scores you can see it you can hear it you could feel it like there was a lot of pent up uh, kind of frustration and relief and I think everyone recognizes what a Big, big goal that was. What a big victory this is. And, you know, now we like the world just looks better this morning, doesn't it? Because we're all kind of going, well, we haven't even clicked yet. And we've beaten Man City and we've done it without Bukayo Saka. Clearly, we know they, you know, their whole midfield from last season wasn't there yesterday and so like you said they were vulnerable but so were we because we didn't have Bakayo Saka our best player and not only our best player but someone we haven't played without for a very very long time it's all very well like you know their best players probably Kevin De Bruyne uh, Mm -hmm. along with Haaland but they've kind of got used to playing without him because he's had a lot of injury trouble Saka just hasn't so we had to kind of learn a new way to play as well but it it was absolutely fantastic um and i think i think everyone you you kind of said it up front elliot and and i and i think a lot of us maybe shied away from it but that kind of if you want to beat city to the title you kind of have to beat them at home um you know i i still felt like we could have drawn this and been you know been okay but Mm. this is just such a big boost um, and yeah, it was, it was electric and, you know, we, uh, we went for a drink afterwards, uh, you know, about a 20 minute walk away from the stadium and every pub I walked past crammed to the rafters afterwards. And when, when I got on the tube about half past 10 last night, I was not the only Arsenal fan on the tube. There were plenty who'd stayed out to celebrate. And I think that, I think that tells you everything. Mm,
1: yeah. And I did say it was a must win. Because we, we have to stop being afraid of that. The problem with saying something is a must-win is if you don't win, there are consequences. But if we want to, you know, the, the Champions League final is a must-win, right? Like, if you want to win the biggest games and the biggest trophies, you have to have must-wins. In some ways, you have to approach every Premier League game like it's a must-win. Because if you need 96 points to win the title, that's basically what they are. If we had beaten City at home last season, we would have been champions last season. If we got this result last season, we would have been champions last season. It's that, it's that straightforward. Now, look, I know, well, if we'd beaten them at home, then maybe other things would have been different and we would have lost different games. But you know my point. My point is if you just swap that one result, we're champions. And so today we can feel job done. The fir- There is a checklist of things you got to do if you want to be a champion in the Premier League. And the checklist right now includes take three points off City somewhere. That punch list is something we've never been able to check off since 2015, and we did it this weekend. And now we can look forward, because I'll tell you something. We sent a message to the rest of the Premier League. We sent a message. This Arsenal team is not to be trifled with. It can dominate a midfield. It can win a tactical battle. It can overcome adversity. It can play without its absolute best players. If William Saliba stays fit last season, I'm convinced we win the title. He's he's that good. But when the the absolute first-choice players aren't out there, this this Arsenal team can still get the job done. And we sent a message to the rest of Premier League Clive, and this felt, this felt big because as much as beating Spurs always feels big because it's the Derby, or beating United at home felt big with Yeti and Keddie a winner, right? The Bournemouth game that we were at was absolutely euphoric. We didn't have this. We didn't have beat the treble, the the treble holders, the best team in the country, the statement victory. This is a statement victory, and I'm curious how you connect to the feeling of pride and excitement about getting this done. There's a long way to go, of course, but as we always say on this podcast, if you can't enjoy the individual moments in a season, you're doing football wrong. This is both. This is an individual moment, and it's a key moment on the path to what we want to try to achieve.
2: Right, so uh, when you say it's a must win, I think the key thing is for us to know how to win these games. And I think we've learned that over recent past. So there's a few games that feed into this for me. Uh, Obviously the Man City away game last year when they slapped us and how naive we were trying to push on and at that phase in our development trying to show them that we can compete with them and their intensity and even though we've got people out we're not going to change who we are we're going to stick to our principles and just go for it well that got us slapped in it so we need to work that one out i think the charity shield was a a big game for me big game for a lot of people because i think it showed that we can yeah. physically cope with them and even though they weren't physically ready for us potentially when they did press the pedal down when De Bruyne came on in that game. I thought, wow, you could feel their power, you could feel what they were doing. But I think we learned something about that about in that game about our shape and how we must always maintain shape. I think the Spurs home game also fed into this. Spurs home game, we were doing what we used to do, which was just be really aggressive, be really quick 100 miles an hour, regain the ball, and then try to force it really, really quickly. And we had Spurs B, but we were too excited. We didn't wait to get into our attacking shape. And so I think that was a lesson. So what did we do this time? This time we played them. We had a physical match for most of the game. But what we did really, really smartly is that we didn't do anything until we were ready. We didn't do anything until we were in attacking shape. And that's really important. The reason why that's important, because if you lose it and you're in shape, You're not showing the other team your knickers. You know my phrase. You don't show me knickers because they will take it. And Man City are the best team at finding the spare man, the one spare man. They'll find him and they'll cut you open and they'll go into the spaces that you leave them. And what we did is we took away the spaces by waiting to attack. And that's the key message here. Shape, shape, shape. Waiting to attack. We only attack when we're ready. You know, and not before, and now to most people watching, that's going to be oh, we haven't clicked yet offensively. Well, you know me, I've never bold about that because off defensively off the ball, we were poor towards the end of last season. We were really poor, and he's really focused on that, knowing that once our attacking talent comes back, we've got a chance to click a little bit more in the attacking way with execution. Right, so I thought it was a masterclass of shape understanding that I'm not afraid to veer slightly away from my principles, have a double pivot in there, Strip. make sure mm-hmm. I block my middle. The sort of things I was screaming for at the Etihad last year, but we didn't do it, did we? We just played our way, the one way we knew. And it's not about veering away from principles, maybe that's the wrong word, just respecting your position enough to know what they do. They like to control the middle, and they like to spread out into spaces that you give them. Don't give them no space. Cancel them out in the middle and see what we can do once we're in our shape. And I I thought it was a masterclass on the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, and and Tim, that that leads us right into the perfect segue for the lineup because the lineup dictates a lot of how we want to play. And Clive's point about how we want to solve the problem that City provides. Look, with the back four that we have, we're never going to be easy to score against if we don't make mistakes. We could talk about Gabriel and Salim at some point on this pod because they just were masterful and I'm surprised that there's been no public announcement or statement made by Scotland Yard or anyone on the whereabouts of Erling Holland (laughs) um, who produced, let's be clear, 0.0 expected goals in this game. Um, Manchester city, by the way, they had that little flurry early of, of two whole shots. They had one shot after that in the first half, 34th minute, They had one shot in the second half, the 58th minute. They had no shots after the 58th minute. They had four shots in the game. So, you know, you talk about what the defense can do. But I think that there was a lot of consternation over the lineup that he picked. And understandably, hey, the guys I like aren't in there. That's what Mm -hmm. it usually boils down to. And Jorginho, coming off the error he made in the derby, would not have necessarily been a fan favorite at the moment, although a deeply experienced, tactically proficient player with a lot of technical quality, which makes his error in the derby so, so strange, obviously. I think Mikel looked and he said, for once, City are vulnerable in midfield. They played Rico, Luis, Bernardo, Silva, and Mateo Kovacic. It's a long way from having De Bruyne and Rodri in there. Mm. And so we tried to win it there. And I think that's what we did. Now, the big decision point, I think, that I struggled to agree with and ultimately still don't agree with, but it worked out, was the decision to play Eddie up front instead of Kai Havertz. Mm -hmm. But as Clive always says, it's not just about starters, it's about finishers. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that's Kai Havertz' Ballon d'Or performance (laughs) for chesting down a ball, but... The, the way he relieved pressure, the target he became, and the way he contributed to the winning goal proves that what we got from him won us the game late. So, you know, you can look at it as a mistake or a masterstroke, but it works in the end. But for me, that lineup is about winning the midfield, and I'm curious if you mm. see it the same way and if that really is ultimately the decision point that leads us to be able to win this game long term.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I said in the pod on Thursday I wanted to see Jorginho start. We were talking about Partey a, a lot. I think Jorginho is on a very similar level um, as a player. Obviously, different player, but look, Pep tried to sign this guy. <laughs> okay, like City wanted him. Uh, uh, I think when they bought Rodri, they went for Jorginho first, um, which kind of tells you the regard that he's held in. And what I loved about this game as well, you know, because you can follow the fact right that just look at when we bought those subs on Tomiyasu, Havertz, Partey and you just look at the camera shot of them standing there what were we bringing on height physicality and right and Raya started going long at that point so at the beginning at the beginning of the game it's clearly about control taking the margins out Jorginho's a great player at that great understanding space holds the ball really well. And then in the last kind of 20 minutes, it's now we get our height on. And like Tommy Asu was kind of up front for the goal. Like, I don't think he was going rogue there. I think there was something behind that because he's really strong in the air. Like that that goal felt to me like a culmination of a plan. But I was really pleased to see Jorginho in there. And the thing I love about this game is um, other than the result, obviously, <laughs> is is like the use of the squad. That is what I'm really, really enthused about. I'm really enthused about, like, Jorginho's been an unused sub a few times this season, haven't needed him, but this was a Jorginho game, so he starts. The next one might not be, but this one was, this was a Jorginho game. This was a game for Havertz to go on up front for the last 20 minutes. The next game might be about him starting. And, and I really like the way we use the subs, the way we use different players kind of around the edges of the team. Um, I, I must say, I, I did think initially that the Martinelli coming on at halftime was pre-planned, but clearly it wasn't because Trossard got injured. But that gave us a real boost as well anyway, I think, like, that almost feels like it should have been planned, you know, because we did quite well at hiding that injury, and I really think I really thought Saka would start. I'm sure Man City thought that as well. So, like, you know, there were there was there was some kind of chess moves in there, but I love the fact that we could change our approach as we've done a few times this season, like United, where we basically didn't press at all. We just said okay. You just pass the ball backwards and forwards, and we'll sit here and watch you. So there's there's like a tactical maturity developing. But I love the way, like Arteta used his players as tools for this game and tools mm. for different phases of the game. And you know, I, I know we spoke a little bit before kick off about Havertz not being in the team. And you know, I was a bit like, okay, he hasn't started against Spurs or City, but actually, I, I, I maybe slightly reevaluate that and say maybe I'm going to have to get used to the idea that Havertz is a versatile player and we'll use him in different positions, and different roles, um, you know, for like a bit horses for courses. Um, and maybe he's not intended to be like the left eight all the time, like Granite Xhaka was. Um, and to be fair, I think Clive said this as well when we signed him in the summer, that, you know, he could see him moving around, he could see him playing different positions and that's what's happened and we used them to really good effect in this game. So that's what I really like that we we treated it like a team of sixteen players who we brought in at different phases of the game. And so, and, and look at again, look at the players we didn't bring on, like Fiera, Smith Rowe, Nelson, unused subs. Like there's serious depth there. So I really like that we're coming to this phase where it's it's not just we play these eleven guys and maybe Trossard plays every once in a while. That we're really really kind of looking at pl- looking at our squad as a bit of a tool belt.
1: Mm. Yeah, and you know, I think all you have to do is think about how Kai Havertz has been playing in midfield this season and the low touch sort of off the ball role he's been given. And then you look at Jorginho who comes in and, and plays 74 minutes and only Ruben Diaz and William Saliba completed more passes in this game. He was 62 of 69 90% completion. Like he he was the hub he was safe. He gave us control. You know, he knows where to stand. He knows where to be. The shape was going to be so important, and I, I think he was a critical piece. I have to say, as disappointing as it was for Saka not to make the team, I think there's a benefit long-term to him not playing in this game. First of all, I think it shows Mikel Arteta that if you have a game where you feel you Saka's on the edge, you don't have to play him. These guys can get a result. You have a talented squad, that can get it done. I think it tells Saka... All the responsibility doesn't fall on you. This isn't a one-man team. This team can pick you up. And it tells the rest of the team you're not a one-man team. This isn't Bukayo Saka's arsenal. This is a, a, a team full of talented players who can beat the best team in the world. You know, So it, it's, it's, it's a great thing for all of them. And Clive, you know, I can't look at this performance and not think, this is why Mikel Arteta bought Declan Rice. So he can go stand in the middle of this pitch against the best team in the world and absolutely dominate them and take the ball off them on the sprint and recover and carry it back the other way and and make sure that if we press but they break the press, it doesn't kill us. If they want to come into the middle of the pitch and try to contest it there, they can't win it. I don't think you can look past the presence he has in the middle of the park in terms of why we're able to to win this game because I know it's a tactical battle, but you have to win the physical battle too. And we've seen Rodri boss the midfield. I think Rice, Rice in this game showed exactly why Mikel Arteta made him a priority. You know.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I Midfield different one for me. I've got maybe slightly different views. I felt, um,
4: yeah, it know.
2: was a it was a five side game. I, I said this on the on the IR. Rico Lewis and Bernardo, they're five side players. Tip tap, tip tap. Mm nice and slow, backwards and forwards. And what's Jorginho? He's a five-side 5, five side player. The spaces are reduced, because gonna, they're going to squeeze the pitch, both sides. They're going to squeeze up. That means he can play in, in closed spaces, and that's easy for him. So this was a game that, that we could definitely get an hour out of him, no problem. I felt City were after him. I'll be honest with you. I felt they were after him when he was facing his own goal. I could I could feel the tension as they tried to double up on the outside of him. Why wouldn't they? Last seen stepping on the ball versus Spurs. Why wouldn't you try to put him under pressure? Just what you do, right? You try to look for people's weaknesses. And I was struggling with the fact that Rice wasn't getting enough of the ball at, at certain periods. No. But then you start to see the game develop and as the spaces do become wider, just pure fatigue, you and they do, they bring on Nunes and he starts to run through. And then you see the value of Rice because he's just like getting in. He's coming around the sides. He's coming around corners. He has this thing where he slides in on one knee and then nicks the ball with the other leg. And it's almost like a passing tackle. You know, so he passes the ball in the tackle. Mm. Very cute what he does there. And I just thought he grew into the game. And I think our physicality from the bench just grew. You know, so we became, you know, I, I, the team that ended was, was better than the team that started. We became better and we yeah. grew in assurance. And you know, I was talking to some people last night, I was talking a lot of stuff last night, so I apologise to the people I was talking to. <laughs> um, but I always say, <laughs> I say, I always say this as well, I always say that um, <laughs> our, our other players tell you how good your players are. And when we made the changes, I felt City stood up and realised they were in a proper game. And they stepped mm. back, and they stepped away, and suddenly we could find our forward, and suddenly we were dinking the ball forward, and we were regaining the ball on the right hand side quite a lot. I think it was smart of Arsenal sort to of attack very, very right sided. Obviously, Jesus is there, and he can retain the ball. But what this does, you don't want City to attack on their right side when they regain it. You don't want them to attack quickly in one, two touches on their right side because Harlan loves the right to left pass. So sometimes you have to choose which sides you attack in. So when you lose the ball, they can't get to their danger spots quickly in in one or two passes. It's gotta be you you pin them in that side and stop them going from right into Haaland, sweeping across onto his left foot where he's a problem, you know, on the, on the back post on that side. I thought that was beautiful. Honestly, I I, I the game as a game. Did I enjoy it? No, I'm not going to say I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. There's a lot of tension around it. But the tactical battle, I thought it was brilliant. And the whole thing that swept over me in the daytime really was, leading up to the game, was I thought whatever City did, we could do it. We could answer it. I thought if we could, we could play deep and play out from the back, although that was edgy, we could do it. We could press high because we could then recover the second balls. So we can do it. And we can mid-block them as well and wait to get into our shape. I I really felt we had enough tools to match whatever they'd done. Whereas in previous games, I felt we didn't have that. And we were so set on playing in one way. So I was encouraged by that until the second news came out. And then I thought, oh no, this is for real. So yeah, so really for me, the result was far more enjoyable than the performance in the game entertainment But for me, the most important thing is I honestly feel we belong on the pitch with the best team in the world. And that should encourage every Arsenal fan today.
1: But you know what? I don't think anyone in the stadium, and I actually don't think anyone wearing red on the pitch, believed we belonged on the field with them, on the pitch with them, in the first 10 or 15 minutes. And this game could have gone a very different way. We had to grow into belief. The fans did. And the players did. And Tim, this was a very interesting game because once we came to grips with it, I think you saw our talent and our tactics shine through and we were their equal and maybe in patches superior to them. I think we ended the game to Clive's point superior to them. And by the way, if you don't think they felt that, if you don't think they felt frustrated, why do you think they're getting into a fight with the Arsenal security team going down the tunnel at the end of the game? They didn't laugh off this loss. This wasn't the community shield. This mattered. They knew it mattered and they were rattled. And and you know, I think Kyle Walker who's got to be sick to death of the sight of Gabriel Martinelli, right, was the one who it it all kind of kicked off with. But the game didn't start that way. And I'm curious how you saw it from inside the ground, because it sounded like the Emirates was nervous, and it looked like the players were. They could have scored early. Really, their only chance to score sort of came from the corner. Declan Rice, who was everywhere again, clears off the line. Ake misses a clear chance. But I, I think you got to just be honest sometimes. David Raya could have lost us this game. He could have lost us this game. And we know what he's there to do. And I will read you Mikel's comments in a moment. But, you know, I, I, I wrote something down. In this period, you know, it's, I like looking at my notes because my notes aren't with the, once you've won the game, everything is a, a gloss over it, right? And suddenly, even the bad moments, you're like, oh, that, you know, we, we wrote our adversity and we, we, we got through the other, but, but you got to go back to how you felt in the moment. And I said, you know, Ramsdale was maybe a seven out of 10 keeper and maybe an upgradable opportunity. But the first job of the keeper, and you can ask Manchester United fans this, is to not lose you the game. And in that moment, I felt Raya was veering into the the lose-you-the-game territory, right? Look at what Onan has been doing at United. And everyone felt they had to upgrade on David De Gea, who couldn't play with his feet. But you can't lose the game every time you go out there. How do you feel about sort of Raya's nervousness? It's probably the biggest, it is the biggest game he's ever played in his career. It transmitted nervousness, I felt, to the ground. And it transmitted nervousness, maybe, to the players. And that was the period we had to ride out and and I I will I will say this, we can come on to it if you want. I think Raya in the second half is a key to why we wound up winning the game.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely key. Some of those low, flat, long passes out to Jesus, some of the passes out to Havertz, some of the way they pull the ball in. And I will read Mikel's comments in a minute. But what did you think of that opening nervy period and sort of Raya's role in that? Because in that moment, you know, especially when he hits the ball off Alvarez, if it goes in our net, there's gonna be a lot of Oh, man, I mean, it's good. the two weeks we'd have talking about goalkeepers would be tedious. Let's put it that way. So, what's your thought yeah. on that that period?
3: Yeah, I I think this is the one disappointment I have about yesterday. I thought the way the fans got after David Raya was was mm. really bad, really poor, actually. And I'm really really glad that he didn't like that it didn't bother him. Um, and you know, look, he's the Arsenal goalkeeper; it, sh- it shouldn't bother him. So I, I didn't necessarily think it would. I think with that outlook. I think too many people when they look at things like this goes for missed chances as well, when a striker misses a chance. And to your point, the the Ake one, I'm glad that falls to Nathan Ake, because mm-hmm. if, if that falls to Erling Hollands that's not in that's not going in the north bank, that's going in the goal. Yeah. But the, the 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 one where Alvarez blocks him, like I think too many people when they see something like that, and, and of course like it's an error from somewhere. I think you've got to think, what are the other options available to him at that time? I think it's a really bad back pass to him by Gabriel because he's under pressure. I can't understand what else he could have done that wouldn't have involved him just kicking the ball against Alvarez. Even mm. if he if, if he takes it straight away and doesn't let the ball roll across, across his body... The same thing's going to happen. All, all he can do is smash it into Alvarez. Mm-hmm. So when I look at that, that reminds me of like a mischance. And people are like, oh, how's he missed from there? And you're like, yeah, but look at, he's not like, he's not balanced or the ball arrives in a certain way or something like that. Or what else like could, could the player have done? So to me, that is not a David Ryan error at all. I think that's just a bad back pass. And I don't think he had any other option really than, than what he did. Like, whatever was going to happen it was going to hit alvarez i i i thought the way the fans got after him after that was was really poor and it did transmit real kind of nerves and i think a lot of that is Mm. because it's a bit popularity popularity contest i'm not going to sit here and tell people not to like ramsdale not to feel sorry for him not to feel like it's definitely harsh right i still think it's right but of course it's harsh Mm -hmm. but like, I, I really, really think in that moment, people were taking their personal opinions and all of that into the game. And it just, uh, th- there's just, I just don't think you should do that. When, when you're in the stadium, I think you just have to kind of support the players and all of that because you're not going to change the manager's mind, right? This is like team selections are not done by Twitter vote. You're not going to change the manager's mind. And that's what he wants. So, like, at the very least, don't get after the player and try to actively make things harder for him. Yeah.
1: So I I fine for the pub, fine for the pod, fine exactly. for Twitter, fine for but just not
3: exactly in the ground like, like whinge about it on Twitter, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or or talk about it in the pub or whatever. But I, I still think a lot I still think there's like an understanding thing here as well. People don't really understand what is being asked to do. So like when he stands on the ball, and I know Arteta said this as well, like it's really obvious. That's deliberate. Like he's not dithering. He's not like he's not panicking. He doesn't not know what he's doing. That's deliberate. So the opponent comes onto you. And like, even with what Brighton are doing, you know, like Brighton do that all the time, right? And Brighton are a really good team and getting rave reviews and all of that. And it's just, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of about 15 years ago when like the passing out from the back thing kind of first started. And everyone's going. What are you doing? Get rid of it! Like smash it down the pitch. Now nobody thinks that. Like e- yeah. even like now, if you smash it down the pitch, people are like, "What are you doing?" E- <laughs> you exactly, play them all out. exactly. <laughs> like even the most um, I don't. Maybe luddite luddite's Tra- like a harsher ones. word, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like doesn't think that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that that's how we're going to look back on this stuff, because what Raya is doing is what all goalkeepers will be doing in 10 years time. And and a lot of them already are. And I was looking at Edison in this game and I was like, Edison's doing exactly the same thing that Raya's doing, but because it's not your goalkeeper. And like I was, I was looking at Edison and I was like, he is in total control and he's doing mm-hmm. the same thing, and he's spraying the ball about just like Raya, Raya did. And and look, yeah, Raya makes one like early error. Like I said, I don't think the Alvarez one's an error. I'm really glad he rose above it because I I, I just thought that was that was you know um, I I just thought that was really poor. Like it it yeah. didn't sit well with me at all. And then like you say, I think in the particularly in the second half, I, I think the other mm-hmm. thing I really like about Raya is he can show different faces as well. And like, you know, he was passing short, he was provoking. Then as soon as we're one nil up, long, long, long every time. And that's not because he's panicking. It's not because that's kind of what Ramsdale does. He panics and he smashes it down the pitch. It's instruction. And the way he's able to show different faces and alter his distribution, that's another reason he's playing because he has short and long. And I'm afraid mm-hmm. Ramsdale kind of only has long, and that, that's why he's playing it's as simple as that and it's just like it's not a popularity contest it's not about who you'd rather have a pint with i'm sorry like that's just yeah you got to suck it up
1: i'm afraid and 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 i totally agree. by the way let me read you well i'll read you the court in a second i i want to be clear about one thing though there's no participation trophies in professional sport this isn't your you know your daughter's football match in third grade or you know your son's I was going to say baseball, but maybe for you, it's cricket or whatever it is, you know, in in when he's 12 years old. This is the absolute elite. And Raya stunk. He was terrible in the first half. Totally unacceptable performance. God bless him for what he produced in the second half, because that helped us win the game. It is totally okay if you want to say that performance wasn't good enough in the first half, and I'm sure Mikel had a word in his ear. He played totally different in the second half, but like... I'm I'm okay with people being frustrated. I agree with you, Tim. I think in the ground, like there, it, you're just not helping anybody if you're if you're expressing it there. You know, I'll never tell anyone how to how to cheer or how to root for a team. Um, I will. Oh, yeah, I know you. That's why I leave that to you. Um, and look, I you know we we come from different sporting cultures, right? I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles fans boo Santa Claus. Like, you're, it's different everywhere. Um, I'm going to read Mikel Arteta's quotes though on this performance. He's, I think he was excellent. He can misplace one or two passes, but here's the key. I demand him to stop the ball when he needs to, to get clarity, to get understanding, to provoke the opponent. That's the tactic. If you don't do it, you're not doing the tactic. Overall, the way he controlled the box, the aerials, how dominant he was, how high he played, I thought he was excellent. I think this is a really critical thing you cannot see on TV, and I'm dying to know if you could see it in the ground, I think one reason Holland was less of a factor is that Saliba and Gabriel can hold their line and they don't have 40 yards behind them for Holland to run into because Raya's standing there to sweep and Holland has a much smaller area to attack. That's critical. But this this felt pointed. I love players with big courage and David certainly has that. He actually used different words. We don't need to use them. He was talking about a, a specific body part. But he said, when the crowd gets like this, I've seen other players kick the ball everywhere. I said, you cannot do that. Never do that. And he didn't do that. Feels a little pointed. Maybe we're reading into it too much, but we've talked a lot over the last few seasons, some big games where the ball went to the keeper and the keeper went long and the ball came back at us. I just think there's a lot in that quote about the high line he plays and the way he stops the ball and the way he doesn't just kick it everywhere. And Clive, you know, the thing is, if a Declan Rice has a bad pass, if a Zinchenko has a bad pass, as he does in a game or two, if a Saliba has a bad pass, you go, oh, that was a weird one, and you don't think about it again. If a goalkeeper, a ball-playing goalkeeper has a bad pass, it can ruin your day. <laughs> so, you know, there's so much more scrutiny on that, but I, I do think that the way he played, and in particular in the second half, it's just clear this is a part of the tactic. The manager believes it's part of the tactic. Do you have anything else you want to say on the, the Riot performance? Because I think it is totally, totally, totally fair to say that he stunk in the first half, but he's part of the reason we won this game in the end. So I don't have a problem, you know, with, with what we're trying to do. And it's clear this is the plan.
2: Yeah, right? I, I don't think the plan is that much different with both goalkeepers. I think Raya is more comfortable in certain scenarios. That's the difference. Mm. I think the plan is the same. There's a level of comfort, particularly when the other teams drop off, that when Raya plays higher, that like it just feels more natural when he drops in between the centre backs or drops in alongside Sleva. It just feels more natural. In this game was not one of those games. It was not one of those games where the goalkeeper was high. It was a game where the goalkeeper was low, and, and that was to bring mm-hmm. them on. So it's not about sweeping. It's not about any of that. It's just about how we can get into attacking shape by having the goalkeeper take his time to build and if they jump out can we pop round to, to, to get the spare man that's what it is about I thought his passing to Jesus was excellent particularly late on and he played a few that went out and just like the other goalkeeper did and I, and, and I I'm I can see why Rayo is number one right now but I'm not going to pretend that there's a massive gap because I don't think there is one I generally don't think there is mm-hmm. one I think he, he allows us to do more tactical things with comfort But then people sitting next to me weren't comfortable in that first half yesterday. And I don't think it's all his fault. I agree with him on on that. I don't think it's all his fault. And by the way, let's just put our hands up for a second. We're not playing a dog and duck. Do you know what I mean? They're quite good. Do you know what I mean? They're quite good at pressing. They're quite good at taking passing lanes away. They're not bad, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? And so we we just to judge this game by the opposition by which we are playing... You know, and I expect him to have a tough time. I expect our centre-backs and center mids to lose the ball, you know, and lose tackles. We are playing a really good side. This is a day for measuring yeah. progress rather than reaching conclusions for me. You know, so mm. I, I think Ryan was in my team to start the game. Absolutely. I knew he was going to play. No doubt about it he was going to play. Um, because I just think... There's more things that can happen. Sometimes when he makes a mistake, he just suddenly looks two inches smaller. You know, <laughs> you look mm-hmm. at him, mm-hmm. you look down because I was in the North Bank side of things and I could see all of the uh, edginess, shall we say, in that first half. But every time we got away with one, it was like, fine, we got away with it. Move on, you know. Just move on. Doesn't matter, you know. If once it's done, it's done. Just move on. Next one. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I said on the IR, I, I, I picked it right in the end because I just felt, I sensed once, because we were so patient and they were getting edgy, they started to narrow. They started to think about their result because we're still in the game and the last 20. So now his pings are reaching Jesus. Havertz comes on, suddenly you can find him, you know, because uh, Eddie's a bit harder to find. Do you know what I mean? And Trossard was hard to find. Suddenly you got Martinelli, Havertz, and Jesus, you could always find him and suddenly he's got something to hit, and he looks better again. Yeah, You know, your passing is, for me, it's about your preparation for the ball comes to you, how you separate and create space, and have you got the right target showing themselves with the right body shape and enthusiasm to receive it? It's a collective thing. It's not down to one person. I'd say the same if it was a Ramsdale. He's got, he has to work harder, better in his preparation, but he can, he can strike the ball just as well. The comfort level, how he dances around the ball and shapes himself, just feels... 10% less comfortable than a continental mm. David Rea. The Spanish players always look better on the board than yep. the English players, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, And that's the way we've grown up. But that's it for me. That's it. There isn't much in it. And we're very lucky to have both of them. But it's yeah. not about either or. I just want to explain the fact that I think the fans will grow to learn. I don't mean to talk down to people, I just know how I want to sound. The edginess from the fans was, it was okay for me, where I was sitting, Tim. It was okay. Because why wouldn't you be edgy when they're bearing down on your goal? You know, literally, it was right in front of me. And we were really worried, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, but I was generally, after a while, five after the first five minutes, by the way, the worst stuff was the corners, flapping for corners and crosses. I didn't really like that. You know, so um, that didn't. Yeah, the riff.
1: one he flapped at, where his hand went under the ball, and I think Holland yes. just didn't quite rise in time, and that was yeah, a that's scary the,
2: moment. yeah. But then he settled down on his crosses, and he came out and punched, and he, just, he did just a great just punch busted. second half. Yeah, points. he just adjusted. I really like the fact that he recovered his performance mm-hmm. of
1: Yeah, I, I think. Look, let's not pretend we haven't seen Ramsdale cost us a game. I can name them if you need them named. I can name you the games we lost due to Ramsdale error last season that we'd like back. Um, keepers do that because when a keeper makes an error, it usually costs you a goal and a goal usually costs you a game. That's the unfortunate reality. Um, this, it's funny, right? Because if we had Turner back and no Raya, Ramsdale wouldn't be a talking point. And if we had sold Ramsdale and had Turner backing up Raya, Raya wouldn't be a talking point. It's only a talking point because there's a very, very popular guy who's also quite good backing up a guy who's quite good. And that is a very rare thing. I just think we should be honest. The guy had a bit of a stinker early on. I think what changed the whole game, guys, I hate that we have to talk about it. And then I'm going to tell you about a couple of, should I tell you about a couple of companies first? No, you know what? We'll talk about this first. Then we'll tell you about a couple of companies. The Kovacic situation. And Michael Oliver... We know he doesn't like to show two yellows. I mean, okay. He likes to show two yellows if you're Gabriel Martinelli and you've done two very minimal things in the span of eight seconds. Then he loves to show two yellows. Other than that, of course not. Now, I think every person listening to this will surely agree that in the end, we are all glad he didn't send Kovacic off. Because I am much happier sitting here today with that win under the circumstances. That I mean, I'd be happy with that win under any circumstances. <laughs> But 11v11, 11 11, bring it on. Let's take the punches they can throw. We'll throw some ourselves, and we'll see who comes out on top of it and it's us. But, Tim, I have it this way. Tell me if you disagree. I have the first one as an orange card. And what I mean by that essentially is, if he gives a red, they can have no complaints. If he doesn't give a red, I'm okay with him not sending someone off for that challenge. I think it is on the border. I don't think it is, like, a clear and obvious one where you have to go either direction, whichever one he had ruled, I would have been fine with, but coupled with the next challenge he makes. And I do believe this. If you're on an orange card, that's where I think it's kind of like, you can't do another foul. You know, you're, you're sort of three quarters of the way to your second yellow already. Okay. I think if the Liverpool Tottenham debacle hadn't happened. Kovacic gets sent off. But a big game, reduced to 10, then reduced to 9. I'm sure a message went out to the Premier League referees, you know, let's try to keep games 11 v 11, guys. Let's not try to be the center of attention. But I cannot see how the second one's not a second yellow. It's a bad call. And this is what I hate. I think Michael Oliver's the best referee we have in the league. He's quite good, I think. And overall, I think he got most things right in this game. And the game was, you know, the referee wasn't a factor except this major moment, but Michael Oliver went to the UAE and then he comes up with that call in a game against Manchester City owned, you know, whose owner is associated with the UAE. And I, I think the problem you have is, even if there's no conspiracy there, even if there's nothing improper there, even if it's just Michael Oliver going to earn a little extra money and who would deny a person the right to do that, the reality of of how people are going to connect the dots. It is too easy to look at that head scratching call and associate it with that trip. And there's some reporting out there talking about who we met with and their association with city. I am not for a minute saying that's why he made the decision. I'm saying having that kind of the ability to connect those dots is a bad look for the PGMOL and for the premier league. So I don't want to go too far down conspiratorial thinking. I just think you don't want those optics No. and you've invited those optics with this situation. So bad decision. Glad they stayed 11b11. The optics are terrible. That's where I come down on it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you, I don't believe for one second there's actually anything like even subconscious in, in that call, but you, you, mm-hmm. you got, you can't have that hanging out there. Yeah. And I, I find it, Mad that PGMOL are kind of allowing this kind of situation. Like, you know, it, it, it's a bit like, um, you know, if you do certain government jobs, there's like a gifts register, right? It's like if you receive something for over £10 from mm-hmm. a company or something, you've got to declare it. And I, I can't believe they've allowed this situation while they're kind of running around. Um, you know, doing TV shows with Michael Owen. And uh, I watched before this game, I watched Man City women v Chelsea women, which was ruined by the referee because a second yellow card was given for time wasting. 39 minutes, player trying to take a free kick, everyone's marked, not a time wasting situation whatsoever, sent off, game ruined. Um, You know, and, and like, it, it's mad it's mad that some some of the things they're kind of doing th- this to me I, yeah I, I really don't understand how this was missed like you i, I kind of think orange card for that first one maybe like in the kind of curtis jones against tottenham
4: kind mm-hmm. of
3: territory where it's like mm, you could give a yellow or red for that and argue the bones out of it but to do it twice and there was a var review as well in there and yeah mm. exactly like that Obviously, there is no orange card, but like you say, the punishment, as it were, for being an orange card is okay. You've just about got away with not being sent off. You like you can't do anything now. Like you're, you know, if anything, <laughs> your manager should probably sub you. Kind of at this stage, it's that kind of thing. So for him yep. to stay on, incredibly confusing, incredibly confusing. Some of the things Howard Webb and like it's don't get me wrong it's a thankless job it really really is and there are some elements where it's like clearly he's trying to improve communication and clearly that's a response to what used to happen under mike riley where there was no communication it was very closed off very ivory tower we are the pgml these are the referees Hmm. we are beyond reproach and he's trying to change that and i get that but there's just a lot of real nonsense this season. Yep. And I and I really, really think like they've they've just got to have a look at at some of this. And it and you, you've got to stop thinking about things like, oh do, you know, um let's try and keep people on this week. And that's and chopping and changing and mm-hmm. just I think there's a little bit too much maybe. Um, responding to external noise, but yeah, like there's just no way that to, to, I, I find it unreal that um, Kovacic stayed on. Um, that they, they, they really got away with one there, and I struggle to rationalise or, or justify why it might have happened. You know, I was talking earlier about sometimes when there's a mistake, you have to put yourself in the position of the of the person making it, and that that's where I can't, I can't, like I just can't think what Michael Oliver was thinking by not sending him off.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And by the way, it's all of it, right? Like I remember you, you Tim, you went big on this early in the season that this stuff about showing imaginary cards or time-wasting at throw-ins, there will be no yellows for that after August-ish time frame or by October. And you're right, that's gone. No one's getting yellows for waving yellow cards anymore. No one's getting the throw-in time-wasting anymore. It was always rubbish. It was never going to stick around and it hasn't and, you know, it's, it's all a mess. Clive, I, I don't I don't want to go too big on this because there's we the subs were amazing. We got to talk Jesus's role. We I think there's there's so much in this game, but just quickly, ultimately, isn't it for the best that he doesn't get sent off? In the sense that sitting here today, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I I do think that that getting the win the way we did long term winds up being better for us than had Kovacic been sent off in a in a weird way.
2: Yeah, there's more interesting things than, than Kovacic to be honest. Um, I think um, he's a bit of a, maybe a sideways step for Man City when it comes to recruitment quality. I thought, um, I don't think he was that good. I don't think we... Well, they wanted Declan him. Rice. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, let's be honest, he's not as good as Gundogan, is he? You know, Gundogan just steps, and knows when to affect a game. You know, uh, it's about players, his game. We talk about tactics as much as we like, but... When the player sees a moment to do something, then the players the players are in charge, right? And I think Nunes has got potential, but Kovacic, I'm not having him at all. And um and so basically, I think um he he should have gone. My son rang me and said he's got to go, he's got to go <laughs> in the ground. I couldn't see it so clearly, and so I haven't got that scar in me at all, you know, from watching it. So um so yeah, really, it's just it's just the way it is. Michael Oliver and Andy Taylor are our two best referees. And um, I think Michael Oliver is a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a groupie sometimes versus the big teams. And I think he likes mm. to be a trendsetter. You know, he likes to do things which are unusual. I think he enjoys that a little bit. You know, and um, and the Martinelli double red cart, double yellows, just sort of, that's what he loves. That you know, he loves that. You know, so um, mm. but he's, I will I will respect him and say most of the games I watch, I hope he's in charge of. So, um, because there yep, are other totally referees, agree. which are awful that don't let the rhythm of the game go. Never not doesn't make it entertaining for people watching. He he he's not bad. He just had a bad moment in this game.
1: Yeah, totally agree. All right. We we gotta talk about the center back performance. We gotta talk about Gabriel Jesus, the, the subs are critical too. So all of those topics on tap, but to to get to those topics, you know, I mean how how would you ever talk about any of the in fact, I think it'd be wrong. Flat out wrong to talk about those things. If I didn't take the responsibility to try to get you to be as healthy as possible, how could I live with myself? How could I live with myself if I prioritize talking about substitutions in a football match over telling you the benefits of drinking AG One? I, I I couldn't, and I'm not going to do that. Not to you, dear listener, because you know we love you. So you should drink AG One for the same reason I drink AG One because it is a total health routine in a cup. You fill it with water. And you drink it down. I do it in the morning. I do it so I can rely on a little bit less coffee. I do it for gut health. I've had some major gut health issues that I've been trying to work on. This has been a huge benefit for that, for energy, for recovery. It was designed by athletes with athletes in mind. So if you're trying to get fit, if you're trying to be healthier, great for recovery. God knows Clive and Tim could use some recovery right now. It is vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, paleo-friendly, low sugar I think when you have something that's well-derived, you get better benefits and you're not taking these sugar. Let's, let's be honest. Why did I take gummy vitamins? Not because they do anything for me. I just like them like candy. It was like, oh, this is a piece of candy I can have. This is not candy. This is to make you feel better, ready to take on the world. I'll tell you, if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to 8 drink ag1.com slash vision. That's drink, ag1.com slash vision. And once you are healthy, you are going to wake up and say the thing everybody says when they're feeling healthy to a person. The thing healthy people say is, it's time for me to build an e-commerce business. That's it. That's right. You feel healthy. You want to take on the day. You say, it's time for me to build an e-commerce business. And there's no better way to do that than with Shopify. I have done it. I'm going to tell you something. Look, all kidding aside, Shopify is brilliant. It's just so brilliant because you can build a website that looks like it's a Fortune 500 e-commerce retail website just with a few clicks, picking a few templates. You can be selling on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, X, Y, and Z, all three of them. And you can do it with videos and pictures and checkout uh, workflows that feel professional so people have confidence buying from you. You're going to have the ability to uh, pop in customer reviews so people can see what they think of your business. You don't have to worry about taxes and shipping and things like that because Shopify takes care of all of it and they take care of the, the checkout, the um, payment processing as well. All you got to know is what you want to sell and where you want to sell it. And that's it. You're ready to go. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash arsenal vision, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsenal vision, all lowercase. Now to get your business, no matter what stage you're in, grow your business with Shopify, shopify.com slash arsenal vision. Do it now. Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. it. Okay. Clive. I'm going to stay with you for a minute here. Um, I think there's a, some flowers to hand out. And once upon a time, I used to watch Virgil van Dyke play for Liverpool and think there's nothing like that. There's no player like that. There's no player that can do that, that can neutralize the threat of the opposition so that Liverpool can go do what they like to do, which is just play that heavy metal, attack, attack, attack football. You need a guy who can, who can give you a platform and do that. And in William Saliba, Arsenal somehow have that guy. That guy. And he's got a partner that is unheralded, but probably just a notch below that, maybe, but is is as good in terms of the way they work together. And Erling Holland, you know, I'm again MIA, totally MIA, no shots, really unable to influence the game. I don't think we can do what we do without William Saliba. And we saw that at the end of last season and people, it is so funny, right? In the wake of this game, you had a lot of media people being like, oh yeah, but City didn't have Rodri and De Bruyne. I don't remember people giving us that excuse on Saliba when they were calling us bottlers last season. And William Saliba is a Rolls Royce. He is a Victoria Beckham's dad's car of a footballer. Um, Tell me, tell me, how happy we should be to have this extraordinary young man and his partner back there at centre-back because I think they are the platform that allows us to go do all the other things Mikel wants his team to do.
2: Yeah, uh, there was a... Yes, yes, Elliot. <laughs> yes, really. Not much I can say to that, really. <laughs> okay, moving on. Tim. No. <laughs> uh, I think... Um, well, if I look at this game, I think how we managed the back end of our team was, was really good. Uh, I include White and Zinchenko in this. If I compare... The, The two centre-backs, you couldn't miss them, right? They're there in front of you going for every challenge. You couldn't miss them, right? So, very easy to see, one-on-ones, dual winners. But I do think the role of the full-backs also, in addition to them, was really important. I I think on the day our full-backs were better than theirs. Although I did like Guardiola, I thought he was good. Carl Walker was so preoccupied with staying back. One of the reasons why... Because of our goalkeepers picking long balls into, into that side, and we were keeping them back, I think, I think we spooked them. And this is where we spooked them. We spooked them with the ability to have our distances from our centre backs to our forward line. They almost decreased as the game went on. I mean by that, so we put the squeeze on them. You know, when party came on, I, I felt everything looked close. So a little dink are into their back line. I thought our distances are getting, we're getting higher, we're getting higher, we're getting higher, but our front line was staying where it was. So that meant that someone like Tommy Asu could jump and make a 10-yard run and he's on their back line. How does that happen? He didn't didn't play up front. Mm -hmm. It It all comes with your offensive distances. This game was all about distances, all about making sure our distances were in shape. And you can only do that when you have players at the back end of your team that are comfortable in all facets of the game, front foot, back foot, in the air, shoulder to shoulder, we have two of them for definite. Ben White is an unsung hero for me and was absolutely fantastic in this game, all up and down that side, and particularly would have been in front of you, Tim. Second half, he's just tremendous. Me, I thought he, I thought he did so well against any opponent that came near him. When Doku came on, he put his ball through his legs and just crushed him. You know, and crushed him mentally. I thought he was excellent. And so the whole platform created by the team is really in a better place than last year. Somewhat so that Georgino can sit in there, in an armchair, and just mm-hmm. tick the ball around. And that's structure. That's a structural thing. And you can even put structure in place however you like it and where you want it in the pitch because of the profile of the players that you got. We couldn't do this, I'm afraid, with... With Rob Holding and Callum Chambers. No need to, not slagging them. I'm just saying to you, they have their limitations that force you to play in an area. Even David Louise, they force you to play somewhere else, which means you can't adjust to what's on offer. So I think the whole back door of our team, including the goalkeeper, was a brilliant. It got better and better and better. And I think that was why we won the game. We squeezed them up as a unit and kept our distances nice and tight. And eventually, they, they will get impressed more and more. You notice how wheels all over them on the right-hand side particular, getting the ball back. That only comes from your distances and bravery to stay in that place and make them think about the scoreboard, and we did that. And Yes, yeah, Sleba stood out. Gabriel stood out. But for me, it was, a, it was a collective team effort.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, but Manchester City had four shots. I, I mentioned this earlier. They didn't have a shot after 53rd minute. They had two shots in the last like hour of the game. Like I, you cannot do that without two things: brilliant tactics. Mikel Arteta today. I, I mean, in, in this game, you see how special he is and how lucky we are to have him. Because we may not have created as much as we'd all like. We didn't have the attacking front line we wanted out there. We haven't had it all season. But to restrict them the way we did and to control the game in the manner we did, and have the the ability to go toe-to-toe with them in possession and tactically. I think we had 49.5% possession or something. Just, you know, punching, counter-punching, boxing each other, and being able to win it late. Brilliant. And and it only works if you've got defenders who don't put a foot wrong. And there was that moment where Saliba went shoulder-to-shoulder with Holland and Clive, I'm going to steal your line here. Boshed him. And it was brilliant. And it's, it, he's, he is here. He has announced himself. But you know what, Tim? There's a player that in my mind we have, since he hurt his knee in the World Cup, we have just failed to appreciate him the way we should. And that is Gabriel Jesus. Gabriel Jesus is one of those players that whatever position we play him at, he looks like one of our best players. And I, look, I thought it was a quiet day for Nkedia. You know, he's not necessarily my cup of tea. It wasn't necessarily the selection I wanted to see, but given the options, I understand why the manager felt he had to pick him because it was him or Kai, and Kai obviously a part of why we win the game late, maybe a little tired after loss. Leo Troussard had a really off day, a really quiet day, and then we find out actually post-match, Mikel says he was injured and came off injured, so maybe he was carrying something. But Gabriel Jesus did the work of all three of them. I I just think, you know, all the way to the end, right? Shit-housing with Ederson at the end, going down time wasting, like he's... He is relentless. And the ability for, for Raya to go long to him, and it, some of the, the balls he wins out of the air and the duels he wins up against these much bigger players, they give you comfort. They give you the ability to, to play out. You have to win. They always say you have to win the contest before you win the game, right? And Jesus is a guy that helps you win the contest. I, I loved this performance from Gabriel Jesus. And I think when we eventually wind up with a Jesus Martinelli-Saka frontline, if that ever happens, (laughs) I think all the worrying I've done about clicking is going to look silly. But for right now, I just, I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give him flowers for this performance.
3: Yeah, definitely. There aren't many strikers out there you could put on the right wing and they'd be just as effective um, effectively, I, I you know I, I I mentioned this quote a lot, but it's just one that really really sticks with me. When he left City, and Guardiola said, "If you play Gabriel Jesus for five minutes, he gives you the best five minutes of his whole life." Like everything is just knife in the teeth, but he, he's actually I think he's got a really underrated technique because we understandably like focus on the finishing. Like if his finishing was even good. He'd be like absolute, like one just one of the top three strikers in the world. But the, the technique, the way he brings the ball down, so it's not even just that he fights with defenders and and wins duels, but he keeps it as well. Like he brings it down on his chest. He's developed a really lovely way of chesting the ball down and then just take just killing the ball in the air and he did it down by the touchline a couple of times as well. And that that's another reason he's, he's quite good out wide. He, he probably misses a couple of cutback opportunities um, to be honest, where you can see he's not, a, well, he hasn't played on the wing for a while. He's maybe not a completely natural winger, but got look, to the
1: byline the, a few times, right? A few yeah. times where there might've been something on that, that he didn't quite but take.
3: He window. just like, he, he just finds a way past you. Like he can, like he he can skill um, past you, you know. He can do a little mm-hmm. little shuffle and get past you, or he'll buff it past you. Like one way or another, he's gonna get round you, and he's so so slippery. For defenders as well, and and look the the kind of um, I've said this many times, but the 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 history, the etymology, if you like, um, of this player is that he was never a striker till he was eighteen, and he spent a few months up front for Palmeiras and just ripped it. He was always a winger. Robinho was his hero, and you can see it you can see it when you play him out mm. wide, but absolutely like just that switch as well at the end, once we're one nil up and Ry finding that kind of flat pass to him out wide. And he just keeps it like he's up against Guardiola out there. Who's massive. He's mm-hmm. like, um and like, what does Pep want his defenders to do now? Like he plays four center backs and Rodri, like he just wants them to kill that space. And, And Jesus lives with that. Like, basically, like Man City just put a big wall of meat in front of their goal. (laughs) Basically, like, that's how they play now. They're all massive guys, like Guardiola, Ake. Like, Ake's massive as well. Uh And he's like, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He can live. With all of them physically, it's incredible, but he's, he's very underrated technically as well. It's, it's not just about the physique to fight for those aerial balls. It's the way he kills them, the way he brings them down, the way he's, he's tricky and he's able to go past players. I just think. He's such a complete player. It's it's just so weird he has everything <laughs> except finishing. It's yeah. I, I just find that really, really strange because everything else about him, like when he goes, like even his decision-making is so good. He knows when to, all right, okay, probably not going to get around the guy going to go infield, going to go backwards. He he has such a feel for the rhythm of the game as well. And then he knows kind of, all right, now's the time to drive. Now's the time to get Ben White to overlap me. And yeah, I, I thought this was a real kind of nine out of 10. He might have been, you know, I, I agree with Clive. I think Ben White, Saliba, Gabriel all have brilliant games, but Declan Rice as well. But of our attackers, like Jesus was the guy.
1: Yeah. And, and by the way, like I, I really do think if Jesus stays fit for the next 30 games, roughly in the premier league, I think we'll probably win the title. Like I, I just don't, you know, if you start to think about game, we've been trying to win games with Eddie and Katia at center forward, Leo Troussard at center forward. And with the best will in the world to them, we went out and spent the money we did last summer to get Gabriel Jesus. Cause he's a cut above and we haven't really been able to play with the the special game changing talents in the front three that we that we know we have and even getting a glimpse of them in the second half you could see the difference <clears throat> clive the subs the subs absolutely won the game i, I don't want to say turned the game because we were playing pretty well but they won the game but there was an interesting dynamic can i get your tactical take on this before we just go into the specifics of the subs and martinelli and and party in particular we started to press a bit more in the second half. And actually, the most exposed we looked and most dangerous city looked is when we pressed a bit because they are extremely technical, extremely good at moving the ball around to press. And they did move us around a bit. And I thought Martinelli and Rice in that period were really important. Martinelli's recovery runs when they got past us. He had one that I think was a foul. Who did you foul? Was it Rico Lewis or someone? Um, and they wound up with a free kick that came to nothing. But he raced back to recover it. And then there was the famous Rice one, the, the one that's been gifted and and replayed over and over again, where Rice hook hook slide tackles and takes it away and goes. He also had the other one where he recovers it and turns it into a pass to Martinelli that Martinelli uh, shoots straight at Ederson. But did you feel that? Did you feel that when we turned up the press a little bit, that actually gave City some of their best opportunities to try to come at us? Because that was interesting, an interesting duel there.
2: I, I think the dynamics changed towards the end of the game. So... City brought on Nunez and Doku, and and they're good carriers. So the ability to carry was was in, was increased. Uh, carriers allow you to take advantage of the pictures in front of you, right? And also, carriers allow you to create new pictures for you if you can commit people. So I was a little bit concerned by that, but then we
1: did. You see you know, White Nutmeg Doku, by the way.
2: Yeah, I did see that, and um, great video. So and uh, but I just thought we had the answers. We had the answers on recovering back. Um, we increased our power in the centre of the pitch, you know, towards the end of the game. Uh, we increased our power at fullback and we increased our ability to find our centre forward. You know, and and so, yeah, they're going to have their moments. Uh, they always have their moments, but they didn't really because we we are so defensively aware. You can see all the emphasis <laughs> of the coaching has gone, hasn't it? Well, the players that we've bought, it's about progression and off the ball, Play and structure. That's where the emphasis has been, and we have these memories of you know really exhilarating attacking play. but We forget how open we are, you know, when we lose the ball, when we don't quite score, you know, and and so the three twos and the four twos from last year, they're great, great memories. You don't really generally win the league playing like that. You have to have more of these days, you know. If you can, if you can, this is what you, this is what you play for. This is what you play for, you know? And um, even the game in Charity Shield, how did we lose that girl? Oh, sorry, we didn't lose it, but how did they score? We overpressed, mm-hmm. we didn't quite do it in unison, and they popped through a couple of perfect passes, Cole Palmer sticks it top backs. It only takes one small detail. And so I do think, I remember watching this, it, the Etihad game, you learn a lot playing City, the Etihad game, I just remember thinking, they don't make any mistakes. They don't give the ball away to you, so you can break on them. I think we've learned from that. I think we've looked to our security, and it is a bit negative sometimes. You know, I've been talking about going backwards a lot, but I sort of know why we're doing it. It's for shape and it's for security, and um, we end up coming off this game and we've won the XG battle with them, and we, we've 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 shut the door on them and we shut the door on Man City. Mm-hmm. I mean, who does that? Seriously, who does that? We do. <laughs> yeah, but no, seriously now let's have this conversation who does that to them no one does you know no one does that to them even when they get beat they win it they have 58 chances do you see what I mean you know this mm-hmm. comes to mind you know they no one does this no one stops them like this you know I think it's a real credit to
1: Life, I think I read this is the fewest shots they've had since pep took over maybe their lowest xg as well it, it's it was a record poor attacking performance for them and I Better way to say that is a record excellent controlling and defending performance from Arsenal.
2: Yeah, it's difficult. For, you know. We, I don't want this every week, you know, but this is, like I say, this is not the dog and duck. This is a proper team, and you have to respect what they can do to you. You know, I was really worried about Alvarez before this game started. Shut out. You know, Harlan, we knew we can't miss him, right? So Harlan, we knew it was coming. I thought Foden was bright. He stood in places I didn't like. I wanted him out of my view. I, I didn't like it. He was so cute. That boy can play. He understands the game. He understands spaces. He understands to stand exactly on the blade of the grass, you do not want him to stand in. And he stands there and gets the ball. You think, Jesus, will you just not be so intelligent? I mean, he's a really good player. and um, But it didn't have enough offensive power, to be honest, that we couldn't handle because we have upped our ability and awareness from the sides, from Martinelli, Jesus, squeezing in from the sides. So we're... When they see someone drop off their detail, they go and do it for them. Do you know what I mean? I, I really love that collective effort. I, I, just, I really enjoyed our defensive focus and maturity to wait to get into our attacking shape.
1: Yeah, well said. Um, Tim, how good is it to see Gabriel Martinelli back on the pitch? I love I love that man. <laughs> I really do. And it's funny, right, because this was a game of shadow boxing because it was a game of of arms length football of it was chess, this was chess, and you could see the thinking, and you could see when someone would get on the ball, players pointing and spaces collapsing and you know uh, passing lines being blocked, and what a tremendous technical and and tactical battle it was. And then Gabriel Martinelli gets on the on the pitch and he's like, "I'm just going to run fast a lot." <laughs> And all of a sudden, the game just quickens, the tempo quickens, and he's got a shot instantly when he's on the pitch, and he's trying to trick his way past people, and he's getting around people, and he's running back and recovering. And I just think there are certain players in your team, it's not that they're better than other players. I mean, he's quite good. But it's that they have qualities that other players don't have. And it's the intensity and pace and directness of his game. And Mikel said the physios didn't want him to play. They weren't sure he was ready. He he went in at halftime, and he was stripped off and ready to go. And he went, and he looked like Gabriel Martinelli, and he won us the game. And, I mean, he gets lucky with the deflection, but the intensity, of the way he plays, and the directness he plays with is something we don't have a replacement for, you know?
3: Yeah, definitely not. And, and particularly going into this game without Saka as well, like going in without both of those wide threats, mm-hmm. That that's why I kind of thought the time it might be pre-planned, just as a almost just as a a boost for the team because you get a boost of energy with Martinelli there anyway. And I I almost, you know, I I really wish I didn't know that (laughs) that Trossard had a bit of a hamstring because I I felt at the time I thought that was a bit of a genius move. Like, okay, we can probably only get forty-five minutes out of Martinelli. Let's have the second forty-five minutes out of him. And, you know, let's put it up Man City a little bit. And, you know, as Clive said earlier, I think it just takes Walker out of the game. Like, Walker's a very, very good defender, um, mm-hmm. but it takes him out as an attacking threat. And every time Martinelli got on the ball, there's, a, again, another one of the moments that's been gifted up quite nicely is him nutmegging. I can't remember whether it's Walker or Bernardo Silva. Bernardo. He actually, it's mm-hmm. Bernardo, yeah, but they're both there. And, uh, and he just kind of, and look, he's another player. He's very much from the Gabriel Jesus school of like every single thing I do is 150% and I don't stop at all. But he's another one who's got underrated technique as well. Like that, that little kind of foot shuffle he's got at the side, um, you know, th- those nutmegs and things like you don't see them coming because his feet are just so quick that it's happened before you realize it's happened. Like, whenever he does something like that, one of those nutmegs, you usually need a couple of replays to see it. Cause like his feet are so quick that you kind of go, How did that happen? Like what? And then you you see that he's like he's taken these little kind of barely perceptible touches that you weren't able to see. But the the other thing I, I really like as well is that. He's kind of another way he's developed his game is not just going on the outside. Now, sometimes he's happier now to stand, Mm. you know, and, um, first of all, this is an audio medium and second, (laughs) but he's, he's happy to stand side on, on the touchline. So he doesn't always just go outside. Like sometimes like that nutmeg, for example, he comes inside as well. Um, And just the fact that he's really developed that, that kind of, you don't know which way I'm going to go yet. You don't know whether I'm going to go in towards the corner of the box or go on the outside and go to the touchline. Equally comfortable doing both. And yeah, I I tweeted afterwards that he's in the same class as Saka. He really is. And Mm. the way you can tell that is because this game was the game between two of the best teams in the world and Gabriel Martinelli won it and like nobody's going oh my god martinelli like you know like you said there are there are other players in the team maybe if they score the winner in this game you go oh that's a bit of a but like gabriel martinelli decides this game and it's not a surprise to anyone no one is surprised that gabriel martinelli is the guy who wins the game that's that's yep. the level he's on it's just we expect it and it's which on one hand, shows we appreciate the quality of the player. On the other, he is in a little bit of Saka's shadow um, because Saka's an academy boy and, and everything like that. But he's he's just a phenomenal player, and he was what we needed in this game. Like in these chess matches, like I, I really like Trossard. I think Trossard's a super player, and he's a bit of a chess player. But you know what? Like you need that guy in your team sometimes. You yep. need that guy who will take people on, who will shoot you know, who takes shots from weird angles sometimes. He, he's like that Sanchez uh, kind of figure for our team. And, you know, I listened to the Mailbag episode you guys did on Friday and you talked about who's the player you, you'd bring into this um, from the past and you kind of said Sanchez, like Sanchez was a phenomenal player. Henri
1: was not an option in that question. No, just no, no. no.
3: <laughs> you think but we're crazy? S- San- Sanchez was a phenomenal player, and the reason we don't talk about him. One of the reasons we don't talk about him is Martinelli. That as a player, your legacy is often dictated by who follows you. Good point. We, d- we don't talk about Sanchez, even though he was brilliant, and it's because we have Martinelli.
1: Yeah, the reason we talked about Santi Cazorla so long is not just because he's a lovely player and they'll never be the like. Um, It's because midfield was a problem for so long. But I can tell you now with Declan Rice and Thomas Party and stuff like, you know, you're not hearing as much Santi Cazorla nostalgia. Um, Yeah, that moment. And I mean, if you're Mikel Arteta and it's the night before the game and you're dreaming of what happens, you're like, I'm dreaming we win. And the winner comes from a four pass sequence where all four subs I put on are involved. So Thomas Party passes it to Tomiyasu, who I've given a really interesting role to, and he's running almost like a target man up the pitch. And he heads it down perfectly to Kai Havert, who I've put on at center forward, who's made a really interesting run and chests it down to Martinelli, who I've put on at left wing, and he scores. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I don't think I'm a bad parent, but you don't want to have like protect child protective services in your house seeing what happened in the moment when that goal went in. Because I screamed... And my three-year-old was hysterical crying almost instantly. She was so scared because I stood up, I started screaming, and she just started crying. We had to we had to hug it out a bit to get her to get her back to a good state. But I was, yeah, I was in a crazy place in that moment as as the Emirates was. What a moment. But Clive, it does come from a brilliant pass from party. And I think I really think when Thomas Party came on, too, you see again the levels, right? Cause Jorginho played a really important role, but his progressiveness the way he operates in tight spaces, I think party plus Rice is something Mikel started the season doing. Now, he did it in a weird way. He played him at right back. He took Gabriel off, and then he moved party in to, to sort of play beside Rice in, in buildup, and a lot of people hated that, but I think you can see in this game why he was trying that because I think party and Rice being on together works. The reason he was trying it early is he wanted Kai at eight too. If he's willing to move away from Kai at eight and just play party and Rice together, I think you're going to see a pretty special level come from this team what did you think of the subs of, of kai up front of of party moving into central midfield i just they they were the game winners and I, I said on the instant reaction this game is about talent first and foremost it's about talent and we have more talent now than we've ever had and we brought it on in the second half and it won us the game you know
2: yeah um, i think we were we were we were a better team that ended the game and started the game as earlier so i think yep if I go through the subs one by one, I, I think Party just brings um I feel comfortable when he's there. And I, I think with Rice there, I think he can he can be a little bit more selective about his defensive bursts. You know, and when he needs to really put the accelerator accelerator on, he's not alone. I do like Rice in the six as well, I'll be honest with you. I've grown used to him in the last few weeks. And um mm-hmm. but game for your life, mate. Game for your life. If I tell you to pick a team for your life. I'm sorry. You're picking Thomas Party in that team. You know he's going to be there because he just can do different things. Right, so he has a presence. I think Tommy Yasu coming on was was really interesting because they brought Doku on on the right hand side while Zinchenko was fading. I thought, there you go. I was I was worried about that mm-hmm. game. and because Doku's always played left for them. All of a sudden, and they brought and then Zinchenko did well in the first couple of challenges, but Mikhail didn't say, you know what? I'm taking him out. I'm bringing Tomiyasu on too. Tomiyasu comes on. What does Doku do? I'm not getting no change out of him. So I'll go on the other side of Ben White back over to the left-hand side. And Ben White gave him no change neither. So I thought it was a wonderful sub. Obviously, he took, for me, he took the opportunity to drive. So we we built up a lot in a 4-2 this time rather than a 3-2. It was a 4, but a full-backs high, cradling the team, two-centre-mids dropping in, into the center halves so it's like a 4-2. City do exactly the same thing. So we we just killed each other. We just mirrored each other. But Tommy Tomiassi was high left. And because he was high left, our distances were so good front to back, he thought, well, I might as well just stay here sometimes. Do you know what I mean? And then just challenged them and challenged him to come and get me. And then they didn't get him. And he looked behind him and saw Foden there and went, well, you're not going to run with me. So I'm going to run forward. So he he runs, makes the forward run and party drops it on his head. And we suddenly... When you do a long ball, the trick is to fast support it. Can you win the races to the ball, to drop of the ball? So you clip it to, to Tomiyasu, and then, obviously, he picks out Havertz with the thing, and then Martinelli now wins the race inside. You know, he then comes inside, and then, to be honest, Havertz just had to play to him, really, didn't he? You know, so uh, And so, Havertz's presence, for me, there's one thing he did, there was a chance he did on the right-hand side from a throw-in, and we threw it to his chest and he just looked so easy to find, you know? And then again, mm. he could just, you could just find him. And then he, the second touch was really, really easy for him. I, I was really impressed with, with all of the mm. substitutions, just what they did to City and their mindset. I thought they made them step back. And um, yeah, it was just a power game, right? You know, I used the word phrase bomb squad didn't I, in the IR and we just mm. upped the power late in the game and they didn't stay with us. That's the truth. I
1: think we got to give credit to Zinchenko, by the way, because that was it. Doku. He had a 1v1 in the box before he got taken off, and he got his legs closed, unlike at, was it Anfield, where he got nutmegged? Um, And he blocked it, and it was key. Doku on the day, no shots, five attempted take-ons, no successful (laughs) take-ons. So (laughs) kudos to him. Uh, Not the performance he was hoping for. If I told you Arsenal would take the lead in this game in the 87th minute, what, 84th minute? 87th minute?
3: 86th. 86. 86, 86 minute.
1: Yeah. Uh, split the difference. And that Manchester City would not have a shot after that. In fact, not have a shot the final 40 minutes of this game. You wouldn't have believed it, but that's exactly what happened. I've never really been one to buy into the whole spine thing, you guys. You know, oh, spine. Like, why is spine more important than any other part of the team? But Saliba and Gabriel, you know, Raya, Saliba, Gabriel, Declan Rice, Thomas Party right up the middle. When we get Jesus back in the middle... Or if you put Kai Havertz there even, I think you've got quite a spine. And look, Chelsea fans are going to roll their eyes right out of their heads if they were dumb enough to listen to this podcast. <laughs> maybe Kai Havertz is a forward, you know? Like, maybe you just got to hold your hands up and say, we whiffed on that one. So instead of playing Havertz in the midfield from now on, we're going to try to play party and rice together with Odegaard. And when we use Havertz, we'll use him as a striker. Um, and he will be a rotational option. Maybe that's not what the transfer was meant to be. And maybe that's not ideal. Maybe there will be games against lesser teams where he can still play at the eight. But he looked like a center forward to me when he came on. You know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be decided today. It's one for the future. But Tim, like, the subs were all very good. I think Havertz was very good. Um, people are really squinting to see it. I don't think he did anything world-changing, but he's certainly involved in the goal. He had some good moments. He just looks like a forward to me. I think, I think our best team right now, if everyone's fit, has to have party and rice in it, but it has to have Saliba and Gabriel in it too. And that means making the choice to drop Havertz and if everyone's fit, going with Jesus Martinelli and Sack up front, Odegaard, Rice, and Party in midfield, and the usual back five, you know, four plus goalkeeper. Do you see it that way? Or is that where we're going? I mean, I, I think Havertz deserves a lot of credit for this, this performance. But to me, if anything, it's it's almost like all you've done is proven that you're probably a center forward, which is a good thing. We could use one, you know.
3: No, so I I think this is about phases of the game. Like mm. Havertz does play as a forward, but only ever at the end, basically. Yeah. I think the Community Shield's the only time he's really started there. And, you know, we've talked about having like that finishing team and Tomiyasu is part of it. He's always, always on for Zinchenko, 20 minutes to go. That happens every time. And so, so some of this is just about different phases of the game. Um, And we clearly decided, like I said, you look at the size of those subs we brought on uh, when they're all standing there. They're all pretty big guys and we we get the winner off a high ball. I don't think we'd have felt comfortable doing that for the entire game, but that's clearly what we wanted to do for the last 20 minutes. And yeah, I I think I'm moving more towards like Clive's preseason thinking, which is that like there'll be some Habits left eight games and then there'll be some games where... You know, you move, either you bring him on up front, or you move him up front, and we've got other players who can play in that left eight, like Vieira, like Smith Rowe, and and it's yeah, I think it's really about phases of games, and also I think we've moved to a situation about appreciating what certain players are capable of physically. So Zinchenko, he's off 70-75 minutes every single mm-hmm. game now. He's mm-hmm. off, and and that can't just be tactical that has to be about what they think his body can manage and yeah. Partey exactly the same we can't start Partey in every game We can't. he's never been able to do that in his career so you know it it has to be it has to be a bit horses for courses I think because we could like there's a reason we went and spent well are several reasons we went and spent 100 million on, on Declan Rice but we bought Jorginho as well and a lot of that is like because we just we know we can't rely on Partey. And so you have to kind of tailor your plan for okay, there are certain games that, that Partey can play. Let's make sure he's available for those games. You know, if he starts, I doubt we'll see him beyond 70 minutes. And again, you've got a player like Jorginho who can come in. So yeah. really, I, I think this is about game phases. I don't think we're in a scenario where like, I think some of those parts around like left eight and number nine, like I do think we've moved towards that being a bit of a movable feast and um, mm. perhaps, and that's more the way I'm thinking about it now.
1: Five.
2: Yeah. I think when I used to watch football, I used to sit there and I used to watch the first five minutes of the game to see what the coach has told the team to do. So you can always see what the last message is, right? see what the emphasis is, see what our shape's going to be, what our build-up shape's going to be. I'd always focus on that. I'd be, okay, now I've got it. Then i just start drinking, right? <laughs> so that <like>, basically... Um, <laughs> but now, what's really becoming apparent in these games is that there are four or five different game plans within each game. And people yeah. change shapes and change positions and change emphasis and change when they press change how they press, whether they go man-to-man, whether they do it slightly differently, whether they do a sort of a hybrid system, they change this all the time. The player's intelligence level is so high, and they recognize when they need to do it in the game. And I think that's the big change to me in the last year about how we manage these games differently and how we adapt and notice when someone else has changed on us, and then what do we do? So when you have a player like Kai Havertz and the reason why I've been quite high on him it's not really mm. based on output it's based on what he can do he can do a lot of stuff so when you have a player who can do a lot of stuff he mm-hmm. got a 55 game season why are we trying to pin him into one position into one phase of the game we should be we should be open to all the possibilities you know, because we're going to need them. You know, I thought he might start his game at centre forward, but in fact, he ended the game at centre forward and looked as good as he'd looked for ages. There've been some games in centre mid I felt he looked a bit lost. Some games I feel he's been bypassed. It's just a mixture. But while this is all happening, we are a, we have real solid defensive principles in the team. You know, so I think we just have to, um, for me, just keep watching, keep learning, keep being open to the different tactics that teams are putting on us and then how we change our shaping game to really go past them because every single club now has got top class analysts so you have to change your face and there were multiple faces in this team presented by Man City and presented by us. In the end how we changed ourselves towards the end was a defining factor. We showed them something they couldn't handle, they weren't ready for and we won the game off a of deflection.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well said. I, I think um, I think we have had to mix and match a lot this season, not by choice, but by requirement due to availability. And that has made it hard for us to maybe always see the exact plan. I mean, Eddie and Kedio, whether you love him or you don't, whether you think he's extremely talented or not so much or anywhere in between, I don't think it would have been Mikel Arteta's plan going into this season for him to start most of our league games at center forward. Um, you know, we've had to make a lot of adjustments and I, I think that, you know, what we saw against city is an arsenal getting fitter and just how deep and strong this team is and, and what we can accomplish. I, I think we can start to wrap up. I want to just say this, Tim, like I, I think to be the best, you have to have a coach who can elevate talent. And I think we have that. I think you have to have a bit of depth Although I think that's sometimes overrated. What you need more is probably a little bit of injury luck. You know, if you look at Liverpool, the seasons where they really won things, their key players played 38 games, <laughs> you know, Virgil van Dijk played 38 games. So i 38 games and th- those are seasons they could win things. Um, but I, I think you need to have a couple of players who are potentially the best in the league at their position. You have to have dominant players and I think William Saliba is the best center back in the league. And I think Declan Rice is the best central midfielder in the league, right there with Rodri, potentially. And I think Pakayo Saka and Martinelli, you know, they're not the best wingers. They're certainly up there. You know, Jesus is a talented forward. and not best in the league ta- talent. Maybe Saka is. But, like, is is that really one of the, the, the key things now? With Saliba going to this level and adding Declan Rice, who might be the best central midfielder, suddenly... It's not just that the tactics are good enough and the talent is elevating, but we have we have difference makers that the other team, especially that Rodri, City didn't have Declan Rice, and we did. And that's the one-to-one, head-to-head battle we went for in the in the summer. And we got him, and that was, I think, a principal difference in this game. Is that it? Some of these guys, the, the, the guys like Saliba and Rice, who aren't just good, they're the best, and we have them, and it lets us win in critical areas, you know?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like Saliba, he's not gone. He's not joined up with France because he's basically injured. He's been playing on this toe, toe injury, injury. Yeah. And he threw Holland around like a ragdoll. Um, yep. You know, like there aren't many players that do that. And we're having a conversation about this last night, actually, when we were talking about maybe, um, you know, uh, some people might say we're going OTT, but we were saying like. Saliba to me, like the the Van Dyke comparisons are made often, and and I think they're really understandable. But we were saying like, can Van Dyke do the stuff with the ball that Saliba can? Like, could Prime Van Dyke do that? Like, shuffle around players and and things like that? Like, I don't know. I don't know that that he could. I mean, he you know, what Van Dyke had is a really really good long diagonal, which really worked for Liverpool, um, particularly when it came to hitting Trent and Robertson. But like sal- like this is just unreal this is unprecedented i can't remember a 21 22 year old central defender being this good i remember sol Campbell when he was 21 22 he was playing he played up front actually <laughs> quite a bit for spurs when he was in his late teens like i don't remember someone being at this level and and that is just pure talent that's pure quality like he's gone up against undoubtedly the best centre forward around and by quite some distance and I I couldn't find Haaland in this game and he could live with him physically and everything else and and Declan Rice yeah this is exactly the sort of game that we bought him for and look Declan Rice, the other thing that makes him so good is he does this in every single game, no matter the opponent. But clearly, when it comes to an opponent like this, like look, City City wanted Declan Rice, right? They've already got Rodri, they still wanted Declan Mm. Rice. I don't believe they wanted Declan Rice to be Rodri's backup, put it that way. I think they would have been finding another way to play. Maybe it'd have been Gundogan's replacement, and it would have been Rodri and Rice. Like, there is no way that Rice would have been sitting on their bench. He's one of the best players in the world, and again, like within his skill set, he's he's just like I, I don't really watch a lot of European football, so I can't say he's the best around. But when that ball breaks loose, when it bounces around in our own half, he's just on it. He just yeah. eats it. He absolutely eats it up. Eats up ground comes away with the ball, you know, slide tackle. It's not just the slide tackle, it's the fact that he keeps the ball and then it's a pass through the line straight after. Like just wonderfully efficient player. And yeah, I mean there's a re like people don't generally get excited about defensive midfielder um, kind mm-hmm. of signings, but there's a reason that Declan Rice costs 105 million. There's a reason we all went mad as a fan base because we could see it. Like this this was the sort of player Ferguson's United you know, like if you had the best striker in the league, Ferguson would buy him, for yeah. example. And this, this, this is what we've done here, and it's it's made us so solid in this game. I just don't think we win this game without Declan Rice. And if you no really chance. want to see what, what, like, his impact, the fact that he went off against Spurs at halftime, and we don't win those game, those two things are utterly connected.
1: Yeah, we we'd have won the dar- won the derby if he finished the game. And I, I mean, so this is where we are now. Eight games played, 20 points, four points dropped, two draws, a ridiculous draw that self-inflicted against Fulham, and a draw against Spurs in the derby where we were better and we were losing players at a ridiculous clip and finished the game without the team we would have wanted out there. At no point this season, I don't believe, have we put out Jesus, Saka, or Martinelli up front. And that's coming. That's coming. I don't think we've had party and rice on the pitch at any time this season other than... The f- those opening couple of games and then uh, um, yesterday. That's coming more. It's, it's coming into place a little bit, and it won't always be smooth. But I, I think this is the next step, Clive. Great teams, teams that go on to win big things, don't shy away from saying moments or must win. Don't shy away from declaring themselves in contention for the biggest prizes. Arsene Wenger said a team could go invincible. That was a big thing to lay on the heads of that team. He wasn't scared to do it because they had the character to go chase it, and they did it. We can be champions of the Premier League. We have the talent. We have the coaching. There is absolutely no reason we can't do it, and we should not be afraid to say it's our goal, and we should not be afraid to say that we are a favorite to do it because we're better than everybody except City, and we just beat them. So for me, Clive, this is the moment that the team maybe says, you know, we weren't even at full strength. We went out there, we took on City, we won the tactical battle, we shut them down, and we won the game in the end. We can go on and do this. How important do you think is winning this game, how important is winning this game for a young team that needs to believe, not hope, but believe they can go do what they couldn't quite do last season?
2: Yeah, I felt that belief has been there since the start of the season for most of you. Uh, it's probably why we probably, some people thought we over-celebrated the Community Shield. But uh, I think that was a moment for, for for me anyway, and that, that I thought that we are, we've improved. We've improved from a mentality point of view, and we look more assured. But I, I will say this to you, there's been some, while we've been learning, we have been learning live it has not been as smooth. I'm not blind to that. Uh, there has been moments where we've been a little bit wasteful in possession, where we stood on the ball, etc. But like every team does that, right? Every team has those moments. So um, it's all about how you react to it. And I think we are trying to control those errors a lot more. And it may not be as exciting, but yeah, I'm pretty comfortable where the season is going. I'm a pragmatist, Elliot, so you know I like this stuff. right? I, I don't mind this. Mm-hmm. I like putting the squeeze on teams. Uh, I felt the pressure in the first half from City. I, I felt they didn't have any release valves in the forward areas. I, I didn't like that, and that was maybe slowing our distribution. I, I could feel that, but that's because City are good. and They were going man-to-man, etc. So I, I, I love these mm-hmm. games for learning and seeing where we are. If I look at the season as, as a whole, what we could achieve, I have a slight concern about the number of games, particularly Champions League games and the intensity of those games and how they'll impact the weekend. I think that's something that we still haven't experienced yet. And we obviously went to London last, so it's still to come, you know, and so I think that's the the unknown. But and while you do that to to get over the unknown, you need to have a style of play that allows you to be economical and I think we're doing that. And that's the end goal to manage multiple competitions. So the goals of the team and the club is maybe not to click but to manage games appropriately and win them multiple games in a row in two big competitions with a third one you know you know, we got the Carabao Cup coming up on I think on the 1st November so a third one in the offing as well so that's our challenge that's our goal I think we've just run our way it's all looking good it's all looking positive
1: yeah well said I'm so excited I'm so excited for this team I think to be where we are right now with some of the adversity we've faced and some of that adversity is self-inflicted, but some of it is not. I think we are. We should be very proud of where we are right now and what we're doing. And I think we've had this sort of expectant anxiety hanging over us a bit this season. Maybe this will wash it away because, again, instead of hoping we're good, we'll know we're good. And I'm excited to see where that takes us. Uh, we are going to be rewatching this game, Clive and I, and I hope you'll join us. If you've never done the rewatch, essentially, the game is on the screen. So you see the game, you see us, we stop, we point, we look at things, this positioning, that pass, this decision. So that's fun. I hope you'll join us for that. We're going to do a scouting video. I think Tony and Neto, because why not? Transfers always uh, get the hashtag clicks, right? People like that stuff. We're going to do a power rankings. We've got special guests coming over the interlull over on the Patreon side. And then we'll as always have our our Monday, Thursday pods here. So we're just going to celebrate two weeks of equanimity and joy. I, I could go for this. I could go for winning big games going into the international break every time. And uh, we can all watch Bakaio Saka play a friendly. That'll be fun. Unbelievable. Um, I think we can leave it there, guys. I think that's it. Just the hour 42 for you today or so. But it deserved it. I think it deserved it. We love you so much. So glad to share this journey with you and so glad to do it with my hungover and dear friend, Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thank you, Clive.
2: Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) And my also hungover and dear friend, Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stominator. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. If you wanted to hear what Lewis Ambrose or Paul had to say about this game, they were over on the Instant Reaction. You can catch them over there. But most importantly, we're just so thrilled to, to have a place to share our thoughts on this beautiful club and what is looking like a potentially special season, but a long, long way to go and a lot of time to share it together. We love you. It's another big one on the horizon, folks. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Chelsea, no.
4: mypatriotsupply.com